Let's bring in Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University, one of our favorite guests to uh, wind up the show. Uh, when you look at international or the international stage, uh, Russia invading Ukraine January 6th in the U.S., and major uh, changes in the aggression of uh, China. Uh, let's talk more about all of this. Elliot Tepper with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you. Same to you, Scott. So, Elliot, uh, I'm guessing the Russian invasion of Ukraine at the top of this list. Um, when this first started, many thought it would be less than a week. It's We're almost at a year now. Uh, did you ever think this would drag out as long as it has? Well, looking back at the year, uh, we can say it really started on January 6th, which was the anniversary of something that it took us maybe a year and now two years to really digest, which was an assault on the U.S. Capitol based on hmm. a president unwilling to yield power after having lose, lo, losing an election. So something so unbelievable, it's taking us a while. In that case, the year started with the reminder and it's ended with criminal refer- referrals to uh, to the Department of Justice in regard to that act. On February 4th, something really interesting happened. Everybody was watching the Olympics in China, but the main thing that happened was politically, geopolitically, was the former formation of a truly audacious plot to change the geopolitics of the world in a fundamental way. On that day, Mr. Putin did something unusual. He actually traveled, which he hasn't been doing because of COVID, we think. Then he went to Beijing uh, Beijing, and he went to the Olympics. But there was a pact signed between Xi Jinping, who willingly signed on with Russia to say that this is an alliance without borders, And they had a long document that they were going to really all put down any color revolutions. People's power would not dislodge their their dictatorships, basically. Basically, then a green light was given to go ahead with the invasion on the 24th of February. And this is really the return of history in all kinds of ways, because now we had a war of conquest by one state against another, something that we thought was just just not part of the post-war world, that we had all the safeguards in place and that we had all the norms of behavior. All that went out the window. And as you pointed out, it was supposed to be a one-week war, basically. The one-week war was going to eliminate the government of uh, Ukraine and be replaced by uh, a puppet government, which would then be incorporated, Ukraine basically incorporated into Mother Russia. And that would change the geopolitics of the world enormously because that would take uh, Russia, backed by China, really into the heart of Europe. Uh, NATO would be dis- uh, basically disassembled. Uh, all of the possibilities of future aggression, Moldova would almost certainly be rolled up into that, Belarus. Then what about the pressure on the Baltic states and states in Poland? So it was a very audacious move by two non-democratic states to change how world politics works. And there's a lot of implications that came out of that, of course. You bring up a very valid point, Elliot, and, and starting with the timeline, this started uh, January 6th with what happened in Washington, then the following month, um, the invasion and such. How much did the instability or the appearance of instability on January 6th, uh, the instability of the United States, of, of the former president, of what have you, do you think that added to this other instability where, you know what, nobody's driving the bus here. If we want to do something, do it now. We'll never know, perhaps, 
what actually triggered the final decision in Mr. Putin's mind to go ahead and do this. We do know that uh, he had taken the measure, he thought, of the Trump administration and indeed thought that the Trump administration was indebted to him for his assistance in bringing Donald Trump to power. We know that whole long story about how Trump uh, seemed to have a, a, a soft spot in his heart for somebody uh, that might have, uh, let's say, information about Mr. Trump that would put him in a, in a negative light. So we know there was some assistance by, uh, and this was just back in the news, actually, there was some assistance by Russia to bring uh, Donald Trump to power. Collusion is another issue, but assistance clearly was there. Meta was just now fined. That's Facebook was just fined for their role in the Cambridge Analytica. And that's a long, mm -hmm. long story about Brexit and so forth. But when you stand back from it, what we have as a result of these events, these two really startling events, a president who won't yield power and tries to overturn an election and Russia with China trying to overturn the existing world order. It, it, these are truly momentous. And here's the um, kind of takeaways on the negative side on that. What we have now, Scott, is that truly a battle between, as it's been put, democracy and autocracy. And we have the possibility now of a war of conquest being re-legitimized. Uh, you'd think China would be worried about that, but they apparently feel invulnerable. One of the things come out of this is there's now a global rearmament in a way that was one year ago just unforeseeable. Can you imagine, mm. Scott, Germany rearming in the way it has, turning on a dime and saying, we are at a hinge of history. And Japan is rearming. Japan, Japan yeah. Budgets mm -hmm. are up everywhere. So the one of the big takeaways of the looking back over the years is that the world is a much more um, a much more traditional pre Second World War uh, kind of existence. You know, as I say, history has returned. And the biggest question of all out of all of this, and the biggest concern of mine, is that we now have a nuclear threat today that we didn't have a year ago because of the possibility that Mr. Putin keeps raising that he would use nuclear weapons and also the uh, careless, reckless uh, use of um, territory inside the nuclear plants of Ukraine that Russia has taken over and occupied. I'm worried about accidental release there. So a more nuclear world, a, a more armed world, and a world where autocracy seemed to have been on the march, that's some of the big takeaways, I think, of the past year. Not the only so, one, of them. So with, with that on the march, where do you see 2023? I mean, obviously, we can't make predictions here. We can try it, though. Um, where do you see, do you see this coming to a head? I mean, who's, who's going to, who appear, to appear the most dominant in 2023? One of the things that's happened, uh, I think, recently, and, and we can say maybe more on the positive side, is that there's been a, a realization going on that just genuinely is a battle between autocracy and, and democracy. The President Zelensky's incredible speech that he just gave said terrorist, ter terrorist states have found each other. So we see now the emergence of a more formal relationship between Iran and Russia, Russia and North Korea, uh, the provision of arms. I'm very concerned, by the way, what Russia is doing in return for Iran. Uh, but inside Iran, we have now over four months now of an uprising. And that uprising is not just 
we have to do better. This regime has to do better. They have to deliver. It's, we have to get rid of the regime. One of the things I think to take positive note of is that the loss of legitimacy by dictators is a noted feature of 2022 and going forward into 2023, it's likely to show up. China uh, is not likely to have Xi Jinping removed from power, but he clearly has lost legitimacy. He's been rattled by the, uh, the open defiance of him and the party. And now he's gone from all these clampdowns to taking them all off. There's going to be <clears throat> terrible loss of life as a result in China. But the loss of legitimacy there, the loss of legitimacy, I think, in Russia, which is going on globally, but inside Russia, uh, we'll have to, and it, certainly in the case of Iran, all of that, I think, is positive. And a lot of that, by the way, is being led by women. And I think that's young women and women uh, across generations, backed up by men across generations. I think that's notable features looking back and then looking forward. Here's hoping uh, we're opening our eyes. Elliot Tepper with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. Elliot, I love having you on. Thanks so much for all you contribute to this show. We greatly appreciate it, uh, and we hope to continue this next year. All the best to you. Have a great year. Have a great, uh, happy new year. Thank you, Scott, and everybody else who's listening. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.